0: God, my Savior Trust him. I saw.
1: Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Are you glad about it? But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified by the spirit of God and his word in his name. How many is ready to hear the word today? Amen. Elder Greg Harrell is coming to introduce our special speaker today. Things about uh, walking in the kingdom of God here on earth is getting a chance to walk with the people of God here on earth, right? Matter of fact, Hebrews says that uh, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that helps us to lay aside every weight and to escape the snare of sin. I want to introduce you to a very special man of God this morning. He's a friend of mine. He's an encourager. He's a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a prayer warrior on my behalf and on others' behalf, and he's a clarion voice of truth in this nation today. I want to introduce you to my friend, my brother, Pastor Raphael Cruz. It is so great
2: to be with you today. I'll tell you, uh, I may step on some toes today, but that's that's all right. Just say, ouch, and do something about it. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God says, I set before you today life and death, the blessing and the curse. And then he says, so choose life that you and your descendants may live. We are at a crossroads in America and God is saying to us, don't be dumb. Choose life. <laughs> Let me tell you, America is in real trouble. Yes. And if we do not respond, our children and our grandchildren will not have a future. If that doesn't set you on fire, your wood is all wet.
3: Yes.
2: Right. Well, I want to start by you know, there is a, a phrase that you hear all over the place, especially among Christians. And that phrase is, God is in control. Well, I want to encourage you do not repeat that phrase again. <laughs> God is in control is a cop out. God is in control is an excuse that Christians give. To justify, they are sitting on their rear end doing nothing while the country is going to hell in a handbasket. Right. Now, let me tell you something God is sovereign. Yes. God could act independent of us. Yes. He chooses not to do so, yes. He chooses instead to work in partnership with us. Is there a fundamental principle in Scripture? You find it all the way into Genesis chapter one. It is a principle of stewardship. Yes. We are stewards of everything God has created. Yes. Genesis 1.28 says, I give you dominion yes. or I give you authority over all of my creation. The very first command God gave Adam was, you take care of the garden, you tend to it, you keep it. That's a stewardship responsibility. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. You know, so many people here take it for granted. I know what it is to live without freedom. I was imprisoned and tortured for the cause of freedom. Praise God by His grace. That God that I didn't know, but He knew me, I was able to get out of there and come to the greatest country on the face of the earth. You know, so many Americans take this country for granted. Perhaps I have an advantage because I've seen the other side, and it ain't pretty. I'll tell you, America is the greatest country on the face of the earth. Do you realize America is the only country in the world that was founded as a Christian country? Yes. From the very, very beginning, the very first document in this country, the Mayflower Compact, begins by stating our purpose for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. What a glorious foundation. But the Bible says in Psalms 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Our foundations are being shaken to the very core. Our Judeo-Christian foundations are in peril today. When little boys are coming to school and they're told, oh, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Little girls are being told, you're not a girl, you're a boy. Let's do something about it. And there are even schools across America where those children are being encouraged to be mutilated because God made a mistake. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. And let me tell you the worst part about it. They are being told, And encouraged without the knowledge or consent of the parents. There's no position in this America more important today than school board. Because unfortunately our schools are a cesspool. Are a cesspool of indoctrination. We have more indoctrination than we have education in our schools. And I am not speaking against teachers. There are many wonderful teachers in America. But they work under a fraud system. They work under a system that is a Marxist system tending to destroy America. You know, both Hitler and Stalin said, give me the children and I will rule the world. There is a concerted effort to destroy our foundations and they are concentrating on the children. There are no absolutes. And whatever feels good, do it. That's the philosophy of today. And unfortunately, way too many parents, and yes, I will say, way too many churches are just complacent. And the bigger the church, the bigger the problem. You have all these churches that are building these concrete idols to the tune of $10, 20000000 million. Their focus is not in preaching the gospel. Their focus is in tickling your ears so that you will give enough money to pay the mortgage. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping a concrete idol. God help us. Let me tell you something also you don't want to hear. America is in trouble and it is the fault of the church. It is the fault of the church because way too many churches, way too many Christians, politics is a dirty business. I don't want any part of it. You heard it? Probably some of you have said it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Politics is a dirty business. I don't want any part of it. Do you know why it's a bad, dirty business? Because the righteous are not involved.
3: Right.
2: Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear through, people mourn. But if the righteous are not running for office, if the righteous are not even voting, then what's left? The wicked electing the wicked, and it becomes our fault. And you see, it comes back to that God is in control excuse. Let me tell you something. When David defeated Goliath, he still had to go out there in the field and he still had to cast a stone. God didn't just snap his fingers and Goliath felt that. Even in the case of Jehoshaphat, you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And here are three armies coming against Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat goes before the Lord and says, I do not know what to do, but my trust is in you. And God answers, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for the battle is not yours but mine. Even in that case where God says the battle is not yours but mine, what is the next thing he says to to Jehoshaphat. You arrange the army. And you'll be ready to march. And then he put the Levites in front. And said start going. He had to. Go, be obedient and go to the battle. Then go took care of it. Right. But I'll tell you. How, we have had this erroneous concept. That Christianity is a passive sport. Yes. Or Even. That prayer is a passive endeavor. Let me tell you, we have so misunderstood prayer. Probably in these times of political trouble, there's one prayer that you hear more than any other. And that's Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And we take the attitude that that's it, that's the end. It's a totally passive prayer. That's how Christendom in general has seen that, as a passive prayer. They miss the whole purpose of the prayer. There's one little phrase in that prayer. Turn from their wicked ways. If you're turning from your wicked ways, that means you're turning to your righteous ways. That is a call to action. Yes. That is a call to action. You know, some time ago, I was talking to the Lord about prayer. And the Lord said to me, prayer does not end with the amen. As a matter of fact, prayer starts with the amen. Amen. Because all the way to the amen is a monologue. And most people's monologue goes like this. Give me, 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 give me. me. In the name of Jesus, amen. And then the Lord said to me, after the amen, shut up and let me talk to you. And then he gave me one of the greatest revelations I've ever received from God. And he said to me, prayer is about five things. You may want to write this down. Prayer is about five things. He said, number one, and most importantly, prayer is about communion. Intimate communion with God. That you immerse yourself in him totally and divorce yourself from the world. You know, most of what we call worship in the church is not worship at all. Let me tell you something. Singing to some lines on a screen is not worship. You have to divorce yourself from your surroundings. And you have to immerse yourself in his presence and abandon himself into his presence. This is why I find it impossible to worship with my eyes open because I got to shut down everything around me so I can focus on him and enter into that intimate communion with him where everything disappears, dissipates, except him. Read Isaiah chapter one. Read Ezekiel chapter one. Read Revelation chapter five and you'll get a glimpse of worship. So he said, number one is about Communion, intimate communion with him. And when you are intimately in that communion with him, God will speak to you. So number two is revelation. God will speak to you. And it doesn't end there. If he speaks to you, he will tell you exactly what to do. So number three is direction. He will give you specific direction as to what to do. But he doesn't stop there. If he tells you what to do, he's going to empower you to to do it. So number four is empowerment. He will empower you to be able to accomplish what he's told you to do. And number five... It's the one that most people, if, even if they get the other four, they miss. Number five is action. After the empowerment, it's time to get off your knees and go put feet to your prayer. Prayer should lead you to action. Amen. Prayer is not an end unto itself. If it's an end unto itself, it's a monologue. If you never heard for God, you're not listening. Because he's talking all the time, we need to be tuned in. You remember, a few years ago, Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway wrote a book called Frequency. And basically, the whole purpose of the book was: you need to tune in to God's frequency. You need to listen to Him. Those that say, "Well, I've never heard from God," you're not listening because He's talking we got to be in tune, and then we got to be willing to do what he tells you to do. See, the problem is that we have been for too long living a passive Christianity. Yes. And unfortunately, way too many churches. Going to church is just a Sunday social gathering. And it's supposed to be an encounter with the living God. And we are way, way, way far from that. And I'll tell you what, God is involved in all the affairs of life. Do you know that God even tells you who to vote for? Let me put it in context. Let's go to Exodus chapter 18. And in Exodus chapter 18, Moses has just come across the Red Sea. And now Moses is trying to govern somewhere between 2 and 3 million people. The Bible says 600,000 men plus women and children. So at least 2 million people, maybe 3. And Moses is going bananas. And here comes his father-in-law, Jethro. And he says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. And then in Exodus 18, 21, God speaks to Moses through Jethro. And he says, you select from among the people. Now that word select, you could replace it by the word elect. You select or elect from among the people, and then God gives four qualifications. Able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Let me repeat it. Able men and women, of course, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Let's take it one at a time. Able men and women. Well, that simply means elect men and women who are capable of doing the job. Yes. Amen. Yes. Number two, such as fear God. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. We need to elect men and women that are rooted in the word of God. Yes, yes we are to elect Christians to every position in, in public office. As a matter of fact, let me just take a little... Little parenthesis here. Did you know that when this country was first established, that the 13 colonies, each colony basically had one denomination? Rhode Island was Baptist, Pennsylvania was Quaker, Massachusetts was Congregationalist, and so on and so forth. They basically had one denomination. You know why? Because it was pastors and the men and women of their congregations that founded the colonies. And then they said, well, how do we do this government thing? I would encourage you to read the original 13 constitutions of the colonies. Did you know that in all of them, you had to be a Christian to run for public office? It was a requirement. A requirement. One of the 13... Also said, or a Jew. The other 12, you have to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ to running for public office. That was a requirement. But we've come a long ways from that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's go back. Able men, such as fear God. Number three, men of truth. Aren't you sick and tired of men and women of lies in politics? you ever come across a candidate for public office that will tell you all these wonderful things they're going to do, only to get elected and do exactly the opposite? Jesus gave us the answer for that. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. It is about time we do some fruit checking. (laughs) Don't tell me, because you see, politicians will tell you what they think you want to hear. Don't tell me, show me. Today with the internet, you can find anybody's record. You need to do some research. I like the way my son puts it. My son says, show me your scars. Show me where you have been in the battle. Don't tell me, show me. So able men, such as fear God, Men of truth. Number four, hating covetousness. Covetousness is greed. But you know, covetousness in politics is not primarily about money. It is about power and control. Politicians covet power and they covet the control that power gives them over with the people. So now you know how to bet a candidate. Four qualifications, able men and women, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. And then he continues and says, and set them off as rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. So the model you have is Moses, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. That is where the framers, got us to be a constitutional representative republic and not a democracy. Democracy doesn't work. Democracy is mob rule. Democracy is the rule of the majority. Under a democracy, the minority has zero rights. You want a perfect example of a democracy in Rwanda, the Houthis and the Tutsis. The 80% killed the 20%. Over a million were killed in Rwanda under the guise of democracy. No, no, we are not a democracy under the rule of the majority. We are a constitutional representative republic under the rule of law where the rights of every individual is protected. Did you know that when that was done in America, it was the first time in the world? first time in the world. It was a unique experiment because it was directed by God. Anyway, so that came out of Exodus 18, 21. As I said, the the, the model is Moses, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. Federal government, state government, county government, local government. Verse 22, and only sent up to Moses, that is to the federal government, matters of great importance. Everything else you handle yourselves at the local level. You know what that is? That's Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. The enumerated powers of Congress. Only 18 powers enumerated in Article 1, Section 8. If it's not there, federal government's got no jurisdiction and all those powers are relegated to the states. Now today, Totally trample over Article 1, Section 8. And they have used a little excuse. Article 1, Section 8 ends with a little phrase at the end for the general welfare. And they created that as a 19th clause. And they call it the general welfare clause and they throw everything else in there because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as Lord Acton said. And so that is that Exodus 18.22 It's Article 1, Section 8. It's the Ninth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment. Anything not covered in Article 1, Section 8, those powers are reserved to the states. It came right out of the Word of God. The framers were committed men of God. You see, we've listened to all the garbage that the Marxists are telling you. That they were a bunch of secularists. Nothing could be further from the truth. Over half of those framers were seminary graduates. They were theologians. Even the two that most people call the most secular of them all. The deists. You know who I'm talking about. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. And both of them were committed Christian men. Contrary to what history tells you, because history has been rewritten. Let me tell you, by far, Jefferson was the author of the Declaration of Independence. Two of those other four did nothing. And there was some, some input from Benjamin Franklin and from John Adams. But Jefferson was the author in the preface. Of the Declaration, God is mentioned four times. As a matter of fact, something you may not know, Jefferson had a long paragraph about getting rid of slavery in the Declaration. It was taken out. You know why? Because South Carolina and Georgia refused to sign the Declaration unless it was taken out. It caused such a commotion at the Constitutional Con- at the what they say, we're trying to ratify the, 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 the declaration that John Adams walk, walked out fuming. And Benjamin Franklin had to go get him and say, hey, we agreed it had to be by unanimous decision. So he came back. And they reluctantly had to take out the whole big paragraph from slavery because Georgia and South Carolina wouldn't sign. But the author was that so-called deist. Let me tell you about the other one, Benjamin Franklin. One of the things you need to know about Benjamin Franklin is had it not been for Benjamin Franklin, we would not have a country. Constitutional Convention had been going on for about four weeks and it was falling apart. Because all these delegates were at each other's necks. And it was none other than Benjamin Franklin that addresses the president of the convention, George Washington. And he said, sir, how is it that we have not once called upon the father of lights to illuminate our understanding? This is Franklin talking to Washington, supposedly one of the most godly. Or have we forgotten when we started this struggle against Great Britain? How we met in this very chamber for prayer, seeking his direction and protection? Sir, those prayers were heard and they were graciously answered. Or do we believe that we no longer need his assistance? Remember, this is Franklin talking to Washington. As the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. Yeah, yes, Sir, I have lived a long time. And the longer I live, the more assured I am of this truth that God governs the affairs of men. Yes. And if we proceed to build this endeavor without his concurring aid, we will fare no better than the builders of Babel. This is Franklin. This ungodly deist, supposedly. And then he called everyone to begin every morning on their knees in prayer, seeking revelation from God. There was a dramatic change in the Constitutional Convention. Now a new harmony prevailed. And seven weeks later, they gave us the greatest document that has ever been written in history outside of the Bible, the Constitution of the United States of America. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the Constitution of the United States is a divinely inspired document because it was forged on the knees of the framers. The framers were seeking revelation from God. And revelation is what they got. This year, in September of this year, we're going to celebrate 237 years of our Constitution. You know, as I travel around the world, you know what the average lifespan of a Constitution is? 17 years. Our Constitution has lasted 20 times as long. Why? Because it was divinely inspired. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was in Peru doing a pastor's conference. And while I was there, I was invited to visit Congress and meet with about a dozen Christians in Congress in Peru. And while I was there, a page took me in a tour of the the congressional building, and she took me to a room that she called the Constitution Room, and she was so proudly telling me, we have had 16 constitutions, and our new president is going to be writing a new one. And I just smiled and looked at her, and I said, well, we have had one constitution, and it has lasted well over 200 years. We are unique. But you see, we take it for granted. God has had his hand in this country. And you know, God has used America in great ways. Do you realize that over 80% of all the evangelism of the world has come out of America? God has blessed America. We are blessed. I would encourage you. If you've never been outside of the country, I'll encourage you to travel. I don't care where you go. You're gonna come back for it with a new appreciation, a new love for America. I've been in countries where they don't even know what a toilet seat is like. They have a little hole about four inches in diameter in the nice restrooms. It's on a concrete floor with this little hole And a little trickle of water. It smells to high heaven. And you got to have good aim when you go there. (laughs) That's about as graphic as I'm going to get. But I'll tell you, we're blessed. And because of that blessing, we become complacent. Well, we're complacent to our peril. Let me tell you, there are forces in America that want to destroy the society we live in. There is systematic effort to eradicate Christianity from our, from our society. And it didn't start today. As a matter of fact, the whole thing started almost a hundred years ago. In nineteen thirty three, there was a document signed in America. It was called the Humanist Manifesto. And I don't know if some of you have read it, but I've not only read it, I've compared it with the Communist Manifesto and it's uncanny how similar these two documents are. What you may not know was that the principal signer of the Humanist Manifesto was a man by the name of Dr. John Dewey. If you're a teacher, you know who John Dewey was. John John Dewey is considered the father of modern American education. Well, five years before he signed the Humanist Manifesto, in 1928 he was invited to go to Russia as a guest of Joseph Stalin. He came back to America praising the Russian educational system as the greatest in the world. So, our modern American public education has been undergirded since its inception in 1933 with Marxism and secular humanism. Amen. And again, I am not indicting teachers. Teachers are the victims of what's coming from above. These teachers have been taught what and told what to say and what not to say. And some some of them are caught in in, in chains that they don't seem to be able to get out of. But there is a systematic effort to destroy our foundations. And again, I'll quote Psalms 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, I can tell you there's a lot that the righteous can do. But the first thing we have to do is get off our blessed assurance. It is up to us. Christianity is not a passive endeavor. Jesus said, To whom much is given, much is required. We have been given revelation beyond anything we can imagine. Colossians 1 3 said, says that we have been translated. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. I mean, if you are a Christian, you've been translated from the kingdom of the devil to a kingdom where the devil has zero authority. Zero authority. But we still voluntarily become slaves to the devil. Some just by passivity, others by actively following its directives. I mean, today, what I'm saying will be politically incorrect anywhere in America. And many pastors across America don't want to upset the apple cart. And they are tickling men's and women's ears because they don't dare speak the truth because the truth is uncomfortable just a few months ago a very well known preacher on television daily had a conference with a whole bunch of pastors to try to figure out how to incorporate transgenderism into their churches that's an abomination before God We cannot acquiesce and become like the devil in order to reach others. I don't see that. If you see that in your Bible, you got a different Bible than I do. And I'll tell you what, that's why we are seeing they're making so many strides. Because we become dormant. We become passive. See, we've gotten this idea that we should not offend anybody. Have you read the Gospels? (laughs) Do you see Jesus being concerned about not offending anybody? On the contrary, Jesus was in their faces, calling them hypocrites, brother vipers. And we just want to get along with everybody. And what we've done is compromise our foundations. Compromise our principles to where we cease to be a witness. If we talk and act just like the world, why should the world have to listen to us? See, we need to be like Paul says, walk circumspectly. That means walk in such a manner that people are going to pay attention. Yes. Where because you don't fit the mold. But we have so been brainwashed that we need to fit in. Well, I don't know about you, but I refuse to fit in. God has called us to be salt and light. Because I'll tell you what, what happens is we are so afraid that the darkness is going to come against the light because the darkness hates the light. Let me tell you, If you are not being persecuted for your Christian walk, you better check your Christian walk. Maybe you're being too complacent. It is about time that we achieve what God has called us to do. Let me tell you something. Why? I, I don't know if you ever asked yourself this question. Why does God keep you on this earth? After you come to Christ. Why not just zap you out of this world. And take you out of here. Well, let me tell you one thing. He didn't keep you here for. Is to vegetate. We are to. He keeps us here. So we could make an impact. Upon those around us. But you see. We missed it completely. I remember. Just a few months ago. I was talking to this kid that had just graduated from seminary. He says to me, oh, you know, just trying to sound like he knew it all. He said, well, you know, as the Great Commission says in Matthew 28, 19, go, go you therefore, and I stopped him. I said, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to stop to see what it is there for. The Great Commission doesn't start in Matthew 28, 19. Go to the previous verse, verse 18. And in verse 18, Jesus says, All power, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. And then in verse 19, he says, God ye therefore. So in other words, let me paraphrase it. What Jesus is saying, because all power and authority has been given unto me, Therefore, you go. Do you know what that is? That is a delegation of authority. Because all power and authority has been given unto me, that is unto Jesus. Therefore, you go. God is delegating that power and authority to you and I to go on the authority of the name of Jesus and take back the territory that the enemy has usurped. Christianity is not a passive endeavor. And if you're looking at it that way, you got a different Bible than I do. We are to be salt and light to the world, a world that is dying in darkness. You know, in Luke chapter 19, there's a parable, it's called the parable of the pounds. And the master says to his servants, Occupy till I come. Occupy is a military term. You don't occupy the valley. You get clovered in the valley. You occupy the top of the mountain. We are to occupy till he comes. Let me tell you, I want to make sure that my children and my children's children inherit a better America than I have enjoyed. It is up to you and I. We cannot continue to sit back because let me tell you something. The forces of evil are alive and well, and they have a plan. And it is an evil plan. They are to set and destroy America. There are millions. Listen, in the last three years, we have had nearly 10 million illegals coming to this country. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, the main purpose of doing that is to somehow get those 10 million illegals to vote in the next election. Trampling our laws. Why? Just so that they can complete what they've already started. There is an agenda, and it is the destruction of the America we know. Now, you need to say, like I say, not on my watch. But you know something, we cannot accomplish that, sitting on our rear ends. We have to get up. And you may say, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? Well, you know something, you can talk to your next door neighbor, and that will be two. And you two talk to one more person, that's four. And let me tell you what, it is up to each and every one of us God gave us, through our constitution, a constitutional representative republic under the rule of law. Each one of us has a responsibility to preserve it and protect it. Let me tell you, I must have told my son two dozen times, you know, Ted, when I lost my freedom in Cuba, I had a place to come to. If we lose our freedoms here, where are we going to go? And the reality is there is no place to go. We're going to have to draw a line in the sand. But I'll tell you what, I choose to draw a line in the sand differently than Colonel Travis did in the Alamo. Colonel Travis drew a line in front of him. And he said, all those of you that are willing to stand for the Alamo to give you in Houston, enough time to step across this line and die here. And they all did. I choose to draw a line behind me. And I say I will not retreat for anything or anyone. I'm only moving forward and so should each and every one of us. Now, there's going to be difficulty. Proverbs 24, 16 says the righteous may fall seven times and gets up again. Yeah. All of us are going to stumble. That's life. But you know, when you stumble and fall, you got two choices. You can either stay down there feeling sorry for yourself, or you can wipe your bloody nose and get up with twice the determination and keep moving. I always choose the second one and so should each and every one of us. Let me tell you, I want my children and my grandchildren to inherit a better America than I have enjoyed. That is not going to happen if all of us, and I mean all of us, does not make sure that not only that we go to the polls and we vote righteousness, but that we get all our neighbors, all of our friends to go to the polls and vote. Because I may tell you, the other side not only is going to do that, on top of that, they're going to cheat to try to steal another election. That means each and every one of us needs to become an ambassador for truth, an ambassador for freedom, and we need to be busy. Let me tell you, just in two days, early voting starts. Two days. February 20th. Our primary election ends in March 5th. The primary election in great many ways is even more important than the general. Because it is in the primary election that we can make sure that we elect the most conservative, the most godly, the most like us to be in every position for the general election. It is imperative that each and every one of us runs just goes to the polls and takes everybody else you can. Let's vote righteousness and make sure that America again becomes that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. We don't have another chance. I believe that if we lose this election, we lose America. Well, I'll tell you what I am not, I'm going to do everything i can i'll be 85 years old next month i'm on the road constantly i am leaving wednesday to go to michigan to campaign for five candidates up there preaching in five churches trying to get up the churches to get off yes. They're duff and go do something yes. and i'll tell you what we got to do it all across america but we got to start in our backyard Let's make sure that we do all we can and encourage everybody else around us. And let's just make America again that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. Let Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we bless you. Father, we exalt you. We glorify you. We give you honor and glory. And Father, I pray you urge us, Father that we cannot sit at home watching the idiot tube, Father. You've given us a responsibility to be salt and light, Father. And Father, may you give us an urgency. May we all say like the prophet Isaiah, "Hear, my Lord, send me. Hear, my Lord, use me. Yes. Let's make sure that we mobilize all our forces yes. to take America back for your glory. In the name of Jesus, name. amen.
1: To you, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, active peace that's built upon Calvary's conquest, the finished works of the cross. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord.
3: Go get him, Tigers.